Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by my good friends over at Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and they do it in just three quick and easy steps. Just go on to mercurymile.com, create a profile, Choose your likes, dislikes, preferences, and sizes, and you will then get a customized box sent out to you in a couple weeks with all the goodies. You got some fashion in there, got some nutrition, got some possibly some sunglasses. I have some gooder sunglasses in my last box. And then you keep what you like and you send back what you don't. And the stuff that you do keep, I can guarantee you this, is all very reasonably priced. I wore a tech shirt today. Um, that I got from Mercury Mile during my, uh, this was, shoot, it was hot today. And I wore my Mercury Mile tech shirt and it was seven or eight bucks. It was like under $10. It was so cheap. Um, so it's a great deal. And it's not a subscription box service. You get one as often as you like. Um, shoot, I, sometimes I wish it was a subscription box service because I feel like I forget to order them sometimes. But every time I order them, I'm so glad that I did. So, if you want to order your box, like I just said, go to mercurymile.com. You can order it up. Also, if you use promo code RAMBLINGRUNNER10, you save 10 bucks on the stylus fee. So, today's episode is with registered dietitian Heather Larson. So, I'm going to start doing uh, a bit more deep dives into the nutrition and dietary world because, if for no other reason... I need the help. So if I need the help, I'm going to assume that some of you out there need it as well. And in this episode, Heather takes a deep dive not only into the uh, just the theories that she subscribes to when it comes to diet and nutrition, but we go right into the weeds of like, all right, if these are the circumstances, what is your recommendation? So we go all the way down. We drill all the way down into a lot of practical things. So I want to thank Heather for doing this. I, I took so much from this episode. And with that said, if you're interested in um, basically having Heather as your nutritionist or someone that you work with from a dietary perspective, hey, shoot, we've all been there. Nutrition can be tricky. It can make or even break runs, um, you know, from figuring out what you want to eat for long runs and, you know, just having it be a guessing game for a lot of people. It can just be, it can just be really tough. So if you need some help uh, at the dinner table, sign up for the Run for PR's weekly meal plan. Um, basically what you do is it's delivered directly to your inbox every Friday morning. And by that, I mean not only the meal plan, but also the, um, what's it called? When you, go out, when, when, you, you, when you go out to the store and you need to get all your food, uh, it's all there. The shopping list. Holy cow. I forgot the words. The shopping list is also included. So if you're someone like me, that really cuts down on the time. So that's available to you if you want to go to runforprs.co if you want to get the meal plan. Also, if you do that, and you use promo code RAMBLINGRUNNER at checkout, it won't save you any cash. It's already very reasonably priced. But one person who uses the promo code RAMBLINGRUNNER will get a free 45-minute call with Heather to get a tailored look at their own uh, dietary situation. So again, runforprs.co. Use RAMBLINGRUNNER as the code. All this is going to be in the show notes. But with that said... Let's get into my conversation with Heather Larson. 
Hello, Heather, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. This is something I've been very much looking forward to. That's for sure. I had a, I had a post a couple weeks ago when I was like in the throes of my non-running sojourn during uh, after I contracted Lyme's disease, where I was like, what am I going to write about here? I'm not <laughs> running at all. So I did a little like awkward post about my morning breakfast. And I'm like, it's funny because like every morning I had the same issue. I was like, all right, I don't know what to eat. I feel like as I get older, I get stupider with food. <laughs> um, maybe even stupider with language since that didn't come out very well. But anyway, so I had this quote says, Hey, I need to have people on this show really drop some knowledge on food, not only for myself, but for other people out there. Cause a lot of people responded. They're like, Hey, I feel the same way. So a lot of people said, Hey, you got to get Heather Larson on the show. So I'm pumped. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. Food can be tough, but I, it was just a little bit of conversation about it. Hopefully we can switch some things around for people. All right. I love it. All right. So first of all, you're a registered dietitian, correct? Correct. All right. And we'll, we'll get into your bona fides as a health and dietary professional. But before we do, we want to set the stage because you're not just well-versed in that. You are also a runner. Like this is, you know, you, you work for, um, you know, run for PRs, which is a huge running coaching service that a lot of people know. Um, Victoria Philippi was on this show and got, um, you know, a ton of downloads and everyone loved that episode. Actually, it was the most popular download in the history of the podcast, the most popular show, I should say, in the history of the podcast. A lot of people know her and know that service, but you're a runner as well. So what's the, what's the running background? Um, so I, yeah, I'm a runner and I have been since I was in early high school, um, but not because I was running cross country or anything. I was playing volleyball and so desperately wanted to be a standout, but I just wasn't. Uh, But the one thing I was always good at was like when we would get in trouble and have to do sprints or anything like that, like I actually enjoyed that and was good at that. Um, So I started running in the mornings before school on our gravel road in the middle of nowhere. And it just kind of took off from there. I was, uh, so my senior year, of high school, I gave up on volleyball. It just wasn't going to happen. Uh, joined the cross country team, and it was amazing. I had no idea what racing was prior to that. I didn't know that like people actually did it as fun, not as just training for something. And it just took off from there. I ran my first marathon um, of it was finals week at the end of my junior year of college, which was an awful idea. Um, but I, I did wow. it. Wow, you are. <laughs> You are, you know, you're like, man, you are an ambitious person. What a thing to take on. And, and I don't know if it's ambitious or I just didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I was this, was this like through- a procrastination strategy? Like, I feel like <laughs> my dorm room in college was never cleaner than when I had a paper that was due. I was like, right? you would find anything to do other than writing the paper. Pretty- and honestly, I think I probably signed up like a month before this and just... I don't know. I loved running. At that point, I would run 5Ks quite a bit. And I was like, yeah, 5K marathon. How different can it be? And turns out it's really different. Um, But I survived and decided from there I wanted to get better. And so, yeah, here we are now, like going on almost 15 years later, still running, still trying to get it all figured out, but enjoying the process nonetheless. So what's your racing been like uh, in 2018? 
so 2018, well, I had my daughter in September of 2017 um, and tried to come back really smart from that. I did have a C-section, which just adds some extra complications to coming back. But when I was pregnant, my husband, um, towards the end of my pregnancy, we were talking about running. I ran up until the day I had her. And we started talking about marathons again. Um, I hadn't run one since 2011, but he put the idea in my head. And so we went ahead and signed up for grandma's shortly after I had her. Uh, so we ran, or I ran that in June and ran a 314 up there, which was wonderful. It was a perfect day. And that is the only real race I have done since I had her. I did a, like a Thanksgiving day 5k. And then I did a 5k at the end of a long run day. That's all I've done since I've had her trying to be smart about building myself back up. Now, was there any temptation to race during your lead up just to like get used to being on the starting line again, even if it wasn't going to be like to run a PR, if it was just like part of like a normal training week, was there ever that temptation? There is. And so I guess I did run a half marathon in the buildup, but it was me just trying to get in the mileage. The, the longest run I did in that training run or in that training cycle, and I'm almost embarrassed to say it was 16 miles just with the way life happened, life went. And so there was a, you a ran small... a three fourteen. What's there to be embarrassed about? That's great. <laughs> no, I, I just, I didn't get in all the long runs. That I, sh- I wanted to, I'm not going to say should have, I didn't get in all of them that I wanted to, but um, I was able to get in several 50 mile weeks. I ran that half marathon. I ran, pretty comfortably at uh, Dam to Dam is a race that we have here. That's a, it's a 20 K. None of them were to race though. And that was actually a big mental shift for me um, just to run and not try and make them an A effort and figuring out the difference in running races for fun and actually going all out at the line. And I think that made a big difference in my training up leading up to grandma's for sure. And where, and where do you live now? Uh, we are in Southeast Iowa. Okay. And where did you grow up? Southeast Iowa. So same. Boom. Town. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Went to school, said I was never going to move back. And then my first job was in my hometown. So it's actually, okay. it's, it's pretty great now. Um, you know, we enjoy it. It's, it's rural. We're the biggest town for about 90 miles. So it takes some coordination if you want to like try on new running shoes at a running store or such, but we enjoy it. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I actually had another Iowan. Is it Iowan? Yes. <laughs> um, another Iowan on uh, the podcast yeah, a month ago, month and a half ago, Vic Morales. Um, yeah, yeah, he's from Des Moines. Yeah. Yeah, he was talking about Des Moines. It's like, it's like he was describing it, and I swear to God, it sounded like runner's paradise. It is. My sister and brother both live in Des Moines, and I am up there a fair amount hanging out with them and they have beautiful trails everywhere in town. They've always got races going on. And for us, it's only about a 90-minute drive. So it's really not bad to get up there and, and get some of that feel that Des Moines has. Yeah, I'm jealous of anyone who has the running trails. That, that's, right? that, is so, that is so key to get that close to where you live. I don't even know what that's like. It just it sounds awesome. It is. My sister can see the running trails from her house. So it's one place to start a run if I'm up there. No, for sure. So how has your, um, actually, no, we're not going to get there yet. Let's just go into your nutrition background. So when did you decide that you wanted to, um, kind of make this a career? So 
my senior year, like I had said, I switched, um, I gave up hopes on volleyball and decided to run cross country. And we had a coach on the team who, um, she was a vegetarian, was very into the way that she ate and talked a lot about how what you eat impacts your performance. I was a scrawny high school kid. I, I ate whatever at that point and didn't necessarily notice or didn't think about it until learning from her and then actually starting to implement that into my own training. You know, like having Cheetos on the way from the end of the school day to practice probably wasn't the best way to run well. And so learning from her and then I'm just a curious person by nature. So it took a couple conversations and then I decided I wanted to dive in from there and figure out, okay, so why does this make a difference? How does it work? And that's how I stumbled upon the fact that being a dietitian was actually a job and that you could just talk to people about food all day as a career. And I was set from there that that was what I was going to do. Wow. So that was a pretty quick conversion. <laughs> it was, I was going to go to business school. Uh, was my original plan prior to me joining the cross country team. And then full circle ended up getting an MBA later. Um, so hopefully I, I went the right route. I, I, and I'm sure I did. I, I love what I do. It is really fun. Well, you, you shoot, you basically combined both of them, right? You started your right? own business get... and then you, then you do the dietary stuff. Right. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. So let's dive into this. So when, I guess, let's just go into the past 12 months. So how okay. has your eating from, say, this day last year till today changed? Because you've had a wide variety of life experiences in that time. I have. So a year ago, I was about 36, 37 weeks pregnant. So uh, that, that was fun. Um, I was really amazed when I was pregnant by, you know, everyone says you're eating for two, but how that really wasn't necessarily the case. I was definitely hungrier. I was eating more. Um, but for me, the bigger struggle was actually after having Nora and nursing and really focusing at that time on fluids and hydration and, and tweaking my eating patterns. Then I think I've always gotten pretty lucky in that uh, my metabolism is fairly high. And so my focus on nutrition as I've gotten older and, and looked at running more, hasn't necessarily been about weight. It's been about how does the way that you eat make you feel? How does it impact your performance? And so I got to do a lot of self-experimentation with Nora um, and, and nursing with her. I mean, I felt like I was eating every 90 minutes or so when I was awake with her during that phase. And, um, and now translating that to getting back up into the marathon distance. Because like I said, I hadn't run a marathon for what, seven years before this past one. And so really, holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I ran three fairly close together, none of which went as well as I wanted them to. And so I decided I've got to take a step back and just look much bigger picture. And it, it took a long time to get there, um, but it's been fun to bridge from the half marathon to the full and, and apply the nutrition pieces to myself because you know, you can, you can get through a half marathon with poor fueling and it might hurt, but you'll be okay. If you get to the line of a marathon and you haven't figured out your gels and you're just going to run start to finish with nothing, it's probably going to be disastrous. And so getting to experiment with those pieces for myself and then helping other people too, has just been really fun. Yeah. See, I've had two different experiences with both sides of those. So I feel like 
figuring out what I need for long runs or marathons from a dietary perspective has been very simple. Like that is just like, all right, there's like only like a few different options anyway. You try them out and then like, mm-hmm. then you pick the one that works the best. And then you just hope right. that your stomach doesn't like decide to have like a coup d'etat on race day. Right. right. I think that's like, that's always how it's, how it's worked for me. And maybe that's how it works for everybody else. I don't know, but that's always been fairly simple. Like that has never really gone too crazy um, with that. But however, the other side has been much harder for me. And, and I'll just set the stage just so you have some context and feel free to ask questions as we go along. But I have a tremendous sweet tooth. I was definitely one of those kids like you where like I never had to worry about weight. I was always like had a very, very high metabolism combined with the fact that I was very active. It really didn't matter what I ate just in terms of like outward appearance. You know what I mean? Right. So like I was having like 32 ounces of juice a day, right? <laughs> I was having like, you know, four servings of cereal a day, you know, stuff like that in high school. And like to say nothing of like candy or sweets or things like that. So I, that, and that even to this day that like, that's my natural tendency. Like I don't basically keep juice in the house, um, stuff like that, but like I'll, I'll purge on simple carbs all day long mm-hmm. unless I like have the willpower to resist. So that's right. always been, that's been my big bugaboo um, as a, as an eater, I guess. Let's just put it that way. So when you were going through your nutrition background, what were the biggest influences you had that kind of set the stage for how you approached nutrition? Because this is one of those sciences that, I feel like can go in a lot of different directions. Like if you're a physicist, you like, you have a very narrow view of like, what is physics, right? Like, I feel like with, with being a dietitian, like you can go in like 360 degrees of directions. Right. So I I will preface this by saying in college, while I did have a very fast metabolism, I definitely had a phase where I thought that applying the science to an absolute T and being perfect and tracking every calorie and controlling as much as I could was the way to do it and to apply the science. Um, Since then, I've learned that that's really just torturous and actually set me up for more failure than it did for success. And so when I work with people now, I really talk to them about the idea that all foods fit. Um, It's just how you put them together. You know, if I, I have a sweet tooth too. I actually have a bag of kettle corn sitting beside me on my office desk right now. As oh, we're talking. Man. You're, you're, Heather, you're, you're right, right there with me. I love you. Like, the weight of my heart talking about kettle corn. Yes. Yes. It's just, it's sitting right there, um, right beside me. So as soon as we get done, I can munch on it. Um, but I mean, that can fit. Any food can fit into a healthy diet. Everybody deserves to eat foods that they enjoy. Like, I never want to see someone sit down to a plate of food and think, Ugh, I have to eat the salad again. Um, I never want anyone to feel that way about nutrition. And so finding ways to apply the science that you also enjoy is absolutely the route that I've taken. And, and talking to people about that, trying to tweak things, trying to figure out like for you, why, why is it that simple carbohydrates are your jam right now? Like, what is it about those? Is there something else you're missing somewhere in your diet? Is it maybe that you're not getting enough fat at your, uh, when you're eating. So you're not feeling satisfied. Therefore you lead to these cravings. Those are the things that I try to help people tease out of what, what they're eating. 
um, when they have those spots, like you described, that maybe aren't ideal or aren't what they think they should be doing and figure out how instead to still make it fun, but nutritious at the same time. Yeah, I don't think fats are my issue. I think lack <laughs> of the other items. Like fat and sugar seem to be very well represented oh, <laughs> in my diet. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, yeah, I, what you just mentioned is that you don't want people thinking, ugh, when they look at right. the food they're going to eat. And I feel like this is going to be a gross generalization. But when I'm eating consistently healthy, mm-hmm. I have found that the UG feeling is the prevailing feeling when I'm like sitting down to eat. And for no other reason than, and I'm not going to sit here and say I eat, that like I have like these perfectly like designed meal plans. I've seen your meal plans. And I'm like, oh, no wonder this works. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so like, I'm not going to sit there and say I do that because I know I don't. But I definitely have that feeling, that UG feeling. I definitely have that like, oh God, a salad. Like this is like, shoot me now. Um, that's definitely been how I felt about it. And I've been able to do like the short term, you know, two weeks eating well, having all that food that you, you know, you're supposed to have. And then like, you know, and then I fall off the wagon unless, unless I go like the low carb route, like the, the significant low carb route, which I don't advise even for myself, but I feel like that's a route that like, can work because you're eating a lot of foods that like probably are going to be not on other diet plants. So I feel like it can be a little controversial. Um, but I feel like that's the only one that, that I've been able to stick, they've been able to make stick for a long time, but it wasn't a good eating plan for performance in my case. Like I saw the negative effects on my performance when I ate that way. Right. And that's, that's one thing that can be hard for some people to understand too, is that, you have to, when you think about your running and you think about your eating habits, you know, if your goal is performance, the way that you're going to be eating is different than if your primary goal is weight loss. And, and usually one or the other has to be in the driver's seat. If you are 100%, your goal is perform well and to run PRs. If you're also intentionally trying to lose weight, you're probably not going to perform as optimally as you would be if you were just focusing on eating for the miles that you're running. And on the other side, if your number one goal is weight loss, we're going to, we're going to talk about that and the way these, that works a little bit differently than if your goal was to go out and crush a new marathon PR. Now, can the two run kind of parallel for a while? Absolutely. But most people are going to get to the point eventually where they have to pick one or the other to drive. Um, what they're doing. And, and that can be hard because a lot of times we want both. um, But having those conversations about how to choose and which one is going to come first is something that that I'm getting better at having and talking to people about. And then once they do decide, especially if their goal is performance, then it becomes okay, let's get you to run some PRs. But let's also eat really good food in the process. uh, Because it's a lot more than just salads and, and brown rice, we can get really creative. I know I sent you some of the meal plans and it is always my goal to make things as colorful and fun and exciting as they possibly can be. Because like you said, if, if they're boring and you sit down and just think, ugh, it's going to last two weeks. And then, you know, you and I are never going to talk again because you didn't enjoy it. You didn't see the results you wanted because I was suggesting horribly boring stuff. 
Well, if you keep bringing kettle corn to the party, Heather, we can we can keep talking. <laughs> but no, I know what you mean. And actually, I appreciated the pictures and all of those because I'm one of those people like I'm a sucker for the pictures. Like I think is it the joy of cooking, which is like the iconic cookbook. Mm-hmm. It, there's no pictures in it. Like I can't choose a recipe in there. I just can't do it. Like I'm one of those people like wants to go to Asian restaurants because there's a picture next to every single dish. I'm like, all right, I want to eat that. I want to I like how that looks. So I appreciate the pictures on there. That's for sure. You, you preempted me here, and I really appreciate it, on the performance versus weight loss issue when it comes to fueling. Now, like you said, there's some people who are going to be, who are going to be firmly in one camp or the other, right? The one right. that's, that's, okay, I've been, you know, I've, I've been training for a long time. I know my body, and I'm here to race, baby. And then the other one is like, hey, I got to lose 40 pounds. Like, I'm running, right. but, like, I'm running to lose weight and you know, I'll PR on the process because I haven't been very active in the past, but that's not the point. Right. However, I feel like there's like a middle 80% that like you mentioned are going to be somewhere in the middle. And I know that I'm in the middle, right? So like, I know I'm probably 10 pounds heavier than my optimum level. Not like optimum, like if I was 19 years old, Matt <laughs> So I'm going to like set the stage here. I'm talking about like optimum level, 37 year old Matt Chittum where I am now, like, okay, I could, I probably weigh 167. I go on like, I I know that I could be 157 now Mm -hmm. uh, and be, you know, healthy. And that that's not like an obscene weight. I would be underfed. I would be any of that. My clothes would probably still fit, but I would be healthier. Um, So I have that 10 pounds, say say eight to 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm not like in full weight loss mode. So, right. like, can you do the performance-based nutrition plan and just, like, over an extended period of time end up losing those pounds? Or would you want to, like, stagger it? Like, what's your opinion on that? So, with that, absolutely my goal is always to work on the performance side and let weight loss be a secondary factor. So, that might be some playing with your blend of, of the macronutrients. So, your blends of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. But my goal isn't to send you into a big energy deficit. And it takes 3,500 calories for you to truly lose one pound. And, I, and I'm not talking about like, you know, you go for a run when it's this hot out and you're five pounds less, like true actual weight loss of tissue being burned off from your body is 3,500 calories. And that's a, that's a lot. It's not going to happen quickly, especially if our goal is to keep you running. Can it happen? Yeah, but it's going to take probably several months unless you have something crazy go on, you know, where you up your mileage insanely quickly or, or something like that. But even in that state to support your recovery, I don't want to a large calorie deficit. And so you have to be comfortable with the idea that it's going to take time, just like your running does. You know, you don't go from running five miles at a time to running 15 in a week. It, it takes commitment and dedication and time and some ups and some downs along the way and learning to just trust that process. Um, so that, you know, you stay full enough that, and nu- you get enough nutritional intake that you're not starving when you run. You've got enough carbs available to actually fuel things. Um, but the energy deficit, maybe a few hundred calories max um, over the course of a week, honestly, would be about the most I would recommend um, if your goal, primary focus is to run the best that you can. Got it. See, that makes a lot of sense. And at the same time, you know, like you mentioned, like the weight measuring yourself on a scale, how often would you advise someone to do that? Because you just mentioned like there can be 
be pretty big swings depending on how your runs are. Um, So just weighing yourself, what's your, what's your take on that? So I do weigh myself. I weigh myself before my long runs and I weigh myself after uh, because I always think it's interesting to know how much fluid you use. Like I ran a 16 miler yesterday. It was so hot outside and I lost over three pounds on that run, but I'm using air quotes. I know you can't see them around the lost because I mean, this morning it was all back. And that was my goal was to replace all of those fluids that I lost because I didn't burn off. What would that be like 13,000 calories? No, sorry. Just over 10,000 calories. I didn't burn off 10,000 calories in that run. So I know I didn't physically lose that weight. I needed to, you have that much of a shift. Sometimes it can be hard to gauge what you lost. And so I use the scale that way. If I am working with someone one-to-one, I don't want them to weigh in any more than once a week. And I want it to be the same day, same time every week, because there's so much fluctuation that can happen week to week. You know, if you weigh yourself on a random Wednesday morning versus Saturday, when you get home after going out to dinner with friends, those, those numbers are going to be very different, not necessarily because of your true reflection of tissue, uh, but maybe because you've got more in your stomach or those sorts of things that that can be really frustrating when just the number doesn't show what you want. Yeah. See what I've always done was to try to be as consistent as possible. So like whenever I weigh myself, it's like after my run, before I get in the shower, cause like that's where my scale is. Right. So it's yep. like, it's always then. So just to, right. just to be consistent with it. And I actually heard the same thing um, about blood tests. I think it was like when someone was, I think it was like, it might've been the Tim Ferriss show. And I forget what, what blood test he was talking about, but like certain blood levels, it's like you want to test it more than once, test it over a couple months and always have it be the same time of day. So, you know, diet's not affecting it, blah, blah, blah. But that's right. when I was like, oh, wait, this makes so much sense. Like, why would I not think the same way about weighing myself? Right. And, and I even have people that I work with, that like the scale is just so torturous. Like, let's just put it away. Like find a closet that you can't reach the top shelf and stick it up there and set a bunch of stuff on it so that you're not touching it um, because that can be really misleading. I have had quite a few people do body pod testing, which is really neat where they will go in and get a little bit more in-depth information about their body. So it'll tell them how much lean mass they have versus fat mass. Uh, and, and we'll talk about the fact that, you know, fat is never going to be 0%. And we've got to have the fat on our bodies to be able to function and learning to look at our body as a bigger picture than just that one number, trying to get a well-rounded group of and and seeing the changes there because some people might not ever see the scale change, uh, but they might see huge shifts in their body composition, which is going to lead to a huge difference in their racing abilities. If we can change some of that composition as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. And it, you know, I think a lot of people, especially at this time, I just did this era in time. There's this big body positive movement in the running community and it's been spurred on by a lot of different voices. And I think that the one professional that embodies it for a lot of people is Allie Kiefer. And she's kind of like taking that mantle as well. Um, Again, she's a professional runner, so she's super fit. You know what I mean? So so it it is kind of like a funny, a funny like parallel where it's like if Allie Kiefer walked in the room, you wouldn't think anything other than like, wow, that person's super fit, you know? But at the same time, there is this correlation with weight and running. Now it's not a direct one-to-one correlation, right? It's not, it's not like cycling where if you go up a hill, 
like weight is a big deal not just on your body but on your bike and everything's weighed for a cyclist like every little ounce matters when you're going up a mountain but for running especially on flat ground like it's not it's not a direct correlation but obviously like you know if you're 250 pounds you'd probably be faster if you're 200 pounds right right so like what's when you talk to your clients how do you approach weight and how it's effect on performance maybe so so first off ali kiefer uh amazing if she's listening i hope we can be best friends um, <laughs> <laughs> she's such a good voice for this idea that you don't have to be this stick thin person to be an amazing runner uh, and the body composition pieces she just had a post recently where she shared some results of a bod pod type testing and had just an amazing message about the fact that the scale hadn't really shifted a lot, but her composition better than ever. If you're following her right now um, with any person that works with me one-to-one on my intake forms, I do ask about weight. Um, and then I ask how people are feeling about their current weight. I also ask them what their clothes feel like fitting right now. I think that's a big indicator of body composition and, and how they're, feeling how they're performing, you know, there's nothing worse than if you are on clothes and they're just uncomfortable, that is awful. So we'll use that as kind of a gauge for what their body is like right now. And then maybe two months down the road, I ask again, Hey, what about those shorts that you wore in our first conversation that we talked about that were uncomfortable? What do those feel like now? How are they fitting? And then starting to have the conversation of like, okay, we've seen some change there. Now, what is your running going, going like, how is it feeling? How are you feeling when you're towing the line somewhere or are your runs a little bit easier to get going in the morning and having conversation about, I don't even, racing weight isn't the right term that I want to use right now, but how is your body feeling on your runs? And I know I can feel a difference um, in the way that, my body performs now versus how it was performing three or four months ago. And my weight really is no different. Um, My clothes fit a little differently, but that's just all part of those body composition changes and, and helping people realize that because that darn scale, like if it doesn't shift, people just feel like they're a failure and that's not it at all. So using those changes in, in their shape or their size and, and asking them, then how are you feeling on the line and, and looking for changes in performance that way? Yeah, and especially for runners where like you, you you can you see those metrics and they can mean a lot. So if they don't move, it can be frustrating. Um whereas like how your clothes fit, you know, that depends, right? It's like my clothes right. fit a little better like an hour after I put them on because like I didn't just have breakfast. Or like I think you know what I mean? Like, right. So it's like it's it's this like amorphous thing a little bit, which for some people is fine. But for other people who are like type A and like Mm -hmm. very like on the numbers and, you know, want things to be super consistent and very like easy to predict, not having the scale mean something can be a hard bridge. It can be a bridge too far, I guess. It can. If there's one thing I can tell anybody that is in that spot when it comes to racing, if you know that that scale is tough for you especially if you're racing that day, like put it away. Don't step on it the morning of a race and, and let that get in your head. Uh, I know that can be really hard for some people that, you know, they think they've 
they know that they've done really great when it comes to their eating. They've been fueling well. And then maybe race morning temptation sets in, they step on the scale and the number doesn't change. And then lets that ruin the whole day. Um, that is, that is a hard thing when that does happen. So knowing yourself and knowing if the scale is going to ruin your day or your mood, you're going to feel better if you just stay away from it. So true. All right. I want to talk to you about specific foods in a second, mm-hmm. but right now I'm going to do a quick, quick shout out to our friends over at Mercury Mile who are sponsoring this episode. Uh, you did a 16 mile run yesterday, Heather. How hot was it? It was awful. So I started at seven <laughs> and it was already like 78 degrees at that point. All right. So it was awful. I ran today. It was right after my son went down for his nap around two o'clock and oh, the boy. sun was now, but gosh, darn was it humid so um i bring this up because i was rocking my mercury mile tech shirt so i'm usually mercury mile if you listen to this podcast you know it's a box service they're able to provide you with all sorts of different you know goodies and and all sorts of different clothing that fit your body and your style and i actually got my latest box a mercury mile tech shirt their own brand it cost me eight dollars for like a legit shirt not one of those shirts that you get at a race that they say is a tech shirt but you know better you try it on and it's just it's kind of like garbage you're laughing heather i'm sure you have a couple um i have more than a couple it was a legit shirt and i loved it you know granted i was still a sweaty mess at the end of this run but i would have been a lot worse i was wearing one of those garbage shirts so thank you mercury mile for sponsoring this show go to mercury mile.com promo code rambling runner 10 to save 10 bucks and as always you can just send back any of the stuff you don't like. You keep what you do like. And shoot, if you get an $8 shirt, you know it's going to pay for itself. So thanks again, Mercury Mile and Heather. With that being said, I want to talk to you about some some specific foods, food groups, and how mm-hmm. they play a part in diet. So I took a look at some of the materials you sent me. And mm-hmm. one of the things that jumped out at me was how you differentiated between vegetables, how you have starchy vegetables and was it non-starchy vegetables? You basically categorize yep. them in two different ways. So what, what does that mean? Can you break that down? I can. So the reason I talk about them differently is because you, ha- you have your starchy vegetables. So your vegetables that are really mealy, really filling, that would be, um, so potatoes or sweet potatoes, your squashes, corn, peas. If you think about those, they're all really filling and they can fill that starch or that carb portion of a meal, their nutritional content is a little bit different than that of your non-starchy vegetables. So those are the really watery things like cucumbers and tomatoes and carrots that are jam-packed full of vitamins and minerals also, uh, but they're so full of water that you're not getting a lot of total calories or total energy out of those. And so I do differentiate between the two because you absolutely need both. They're both awesomely nutritious sources, but the two of them are going to serve a different purpose. Like if it's the night before your long run and you fill up your protein and half with a stir fry that's just got peppers and onions and some zucchinis in it, you're going to feel really different the next morning than someone who had their protein and then had some non-starchy vegetables, but then had a huge serving of sweet potatoes as well, because those sweet potatoes are so carb rich. They're going to give you the energy to go run and run well the next day. And so differentiating between those those two pieces and and I actually use starchy vegetables and grains pretty interchangeably in my meal plans because their macronutrient breakdown is similar enough that I think you can exchange those two fairly well 
And how do those relate to beans? So you say you, you combine those two, they look in a similar way. Is be, are beans similar at all? So beans are similar in that they are also very starchy. They're going to give you a little bit of protein as well. So especially for vegetarians, we're using tons of beans in there. I recommend that everybody uses beans regularly within um, the plans. And you would have seen that in your meal plans. And the ones I sent you were just standard everyday eater. They weren't vegetarian plans, but they had some meatless meals in there where beans were the primary source of both starches and uh, your protein in those meals. Yeah, we do meatless Mondays here in the Chittam House, which is also code word for it's also code word for pasta Monday because we're completely overwhelmed (laughs) because we're back to the work week. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So no, I can get down I can get down with meatless dinners for sure, but we usually rely uh on some sort of meat um for dinner. So no, I appreciate you you breaking that down between starchy and not starchy. I actually was surprised how you categorize carrots. I always thought that would be a starchy vegetable. That was actually the first one that came to mind for a starchy vegetable. Yeah, nope. They are really high in water content, not a lot of total energy in their total calories. Uh, you know, they're a great snack. I love having those with hummus or something, but that's not a snack I would have if I was going for a run um, shortly after because there's not a ton of carbs there. So there's not a ton of get out of those. Now, one food that see it's like it's it's so weird to me that this can be like controversial in a way. But for like people who are, and I have been one of them because it was my way of trying to like kick my sugar addiction was mm-hmm. to like basically like go no added sugar slash like very few simple carbohydrates for yeah. a few weeks because um, I was just flat out addicted to sugar. So I was like, I need to like cut this out. <laughs> but one of those foods that has like a like an interesting thing about it is fruit. Which is like funny because like when you grow up, you think like fruit is a healthy food, like end of story, right? Period, full right. stop. So what is your take on fruit in terms of like, is there like, is there a point where like it's too much or maybe it shouldn't be eaten at certain times or is there are certain, certain fruits that maybe you can overindulge in because of sugar content? I mean, again, this is so weird that I'm having this conversation. Like the tw- <laughs> The 15-year-old me would be, like, looking at me cross-eyed, like, what are you talking about? But I feel like now it's, like, it's a conversation that has to be had. Right. Oh, fruits get such a bad name, and I don't, I don't get it. They're so, they're so good. So the, when you look at the nutritional breakdown of fruit, the reason they sometimes get a bad name is because they only have carbohydrates. So they don't have any protein. They don't have any fat to them. They are just carbohydrate. That is what makes them a fruit. When people are going on low-carb diets, that makes them seem like an enemy. For me, that's like the ideal pre-run snack. Like I can have a banana and then be out the door running 10 minutes later and feel totally fine. Um, And they've got just enough fiber that it lasts me for for a decent chunk of the run. Um, Unless you're like eating an entire watermelon with a fork at a time, I'm probably going to say keep eating your fruit. That's an awesome Um, source of energy. And I would much prefer people do that than instead not eat any sugars at all, even fruits. And two days later have cut out sugars and are losing their mind and then sit down and eat an entire pint of Ben and Jerry's because they're craving the sugar. Um, Yeah. And how, what's your take on, this is another part of the thing with fruit is that I have talked to one nutritionist who talked about how 
when you say have like a smoothie in the morning, and I know you're an advocate for smoothies in the morning, and a smoothie is not controversial in and of itself because you can put anything into a smoothie. Mm-hmm. But if you have a smoothie that's very fruit-based, right. that that could be problematic just by how quickly you consume it. Yeah. So most of the smoothie recipes that I have on my plans have some sort of nut-based or cow's milk in them. So they'll either be like a, a soy milk or a cow's milk, or they'll have some sort of protein powder as a supplement. Because if you're just doing ice, water, and fruit, then you do just have carbs. And so you're absorb it fairly quickly, and then you're going to be hungry in an hour. Whereas if we add, intentionally add in a little bit of protein and a little bit of fat through maybe like some peanut butter or some almond butter, um, even some avocado is wonderful thrown into smoothies. If we can make sure that we get all three macronutrients in that smoothie, then it's a wonderful meal. And for every one of us out there who is super busy, you can throw it in the, um, in the blender, be out the door in two minutes and still have a good breakfast without it throwing off your whole morning. And so that's why I like to use them. But that's why when you look at those meal plans, there's, it's never just fruit. There's always more to it to round out that meal. Now, what about yogurts and smoothies? Mm-hmm. Do they have, Ab- what, what place do they play in that matrix that you just set up? So depends on what kind of yogurt you're having. Um, but yogurts are going to have, they're all, so if it's a dairy yogurt, those are always going to have carbs. They're going to have protein as well. Depending on the type of yogurt, they may or may not have fat. I always encourage people to keep fat. It is, you have to have it. Um, so I would, if, especially if I'm going to do a smoothie that maybe I need it thickened up, or if I went for a 10 mile run that morning and I need a little bit more than just my standard smoothie, I'll throw that in. It makes it a little bit creamier, changes up the flavor a little bit and still keeps that balance, gets me a little bit of extra protein, a little bit of fat in the mix so that I'm not hungry by the time I make my drive to work. Yeah. See, like I, during the school year, so my wife, I say school year, my wife's a teacher. And that like, that's part of the things I do is like, I like part of my morning routine is I make her a smoothie. And now I have this tremendous guilt associated with the smoothie. I feel like the smoothie I've been making her is like way too fruit heavy. I saw your smoothie recipe. Um, I forget which one was in the latest one. It was like, it was like the race day smoothie. Oh, it was like the, tan. The, gym, the gym rat one. Yeah, the gym rat smoothie. And I'm like, oh, shoot. This is probably what I should have been making her the whole time. Um, all right. So here's another thing that I want to talk to you about. Because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are early morning runners. I am an early morning runner. And basically my goal for a run, just from a timing perspective, not like the run itself, but like when I leave and when I come back, is to be done with my run and shower before my kids wake up, which means that I'm trying to cut the time between the minute I walk out of bed and the minute I walk out the door to as little as possible, um, including like, you know, bathroom stuff and making sure that I'm warmed up and ready to go. So it was like the two main considerations. So I know that I was reading your, your guide and how like in a perfect world you advocate for like, you know, eating two hours before a run and things like that, which is pretty standard advice. Right. I've I've seen that, you know, I've, I've known that ever since I was playing high school sports, like that you want to do that. So that was not a surprise, but for people like me in the morning, what would your advice be in terms of fueling or not fueling? Let's just say I'm doing, I guess two, I guess two different questions. If I'm doing my typical 
five to seven mile easy run, or if I'm doing, you know, an elevated, like not elevated, but like, you know, a, a track workout day. Yeah. So what, what would be the advice? Say I'm in the house for 25 minutes, half an hour before I'm out the door. So I'm, I'm basically, I'm awake for 30 minutes okay. before I start the run. So my advice starts the night before. Uh, we were just talking about the different um, starch grains, making sure that dinner the night before has a healthy amount of carbohydrates to it, because that's probably the last thing you're going to be eating before that run, um, especially if you're getting out the door in 30 minutes. If you have a good dinner, you've fueled up well, and you're going out for an easy effort run, you can run out the door and get those miles in. That, you know, if it's going to be less than 60 minutes, if you can sip a little, whether it's Gatorade or some can or something, great. But you're probably, as long as you had a good dinner, you're going to be okay on that 60 minute or less run. That track workout though would worry me just a little with not having anything. And so what I will have people do is set something on their nightstand because I hear you, it's already hard enough to get up early, uh, trying to figure out what you're going to eat and and by the time you wake up, get your teeth brushed, get downstairs, it seems like you've only got like 10 minutes before oh, you need to be out the brushed. door. Teeth brushed are not part of the early morning routine before the run. I, pre- <laughs> I love it that you went that way, Heather. I am like, I'm like that, that's going to come much later. That's going to be at like 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you roll out of bed, even though you're not brushing your teeth, having your whatever it is that you're going to eat right there on your nightstand is going to be really helpful. And it does not have to be like this big gourmet breakfast. It could be something as simple as, for me, um, honey stinger waffles are, are wonderful. I can chow that down in like a minute. It digests really quickly. I can get out the door. Sometimes I'll leave a banana there. I know the guide talks a lot about um, like different oat breakfasts and ways to use oatmeal and things. I don't have time for that when I am trying to run before the girls are that. And so those quick, easy 25-ish grams of carbs just like right there to grab in the morning is the easiest way eat it as I'm kind of stumbling to the back bathroom to get things rolling for the day. And I've still got something in my stomach, at least for that hard effort. And then I'm always carrying water um, and some sort of electrolyte replacer with me if I'm doing a hard workout so that I've got that on the run too. And those electrolyte, electrolyte replacers, so even if it's just like a Gatorade, um, they have enough simple carbs in them that if I'm really struggling after repeat number three, for example, I can take some of that and at least get some more energy to get through it. Now, post run. Mm-hmm. So, so again, so still going with like the early morning runners. Yep. How does breakfast change or how does it differ for someone like me versus or just say, say I was going to have an early morning run? Okay. What would my breakfast look like post run? Not only what I'd be eating, but when? Versus if I was doing an afternoon run or say I had like, I could run five miles at, at, during my lunch break that day. Like would right. my breakfasts look different and would, and would the timing matter? So timing is the thing that would be most important for me on that run. So 30 to 45 minutes is that window that when you get done with your run, I want to see you eating something because at that point, your muscles are still active. They're primed and ready to take up more carbohydrates to replace the glycogen that you burned off for your run, and they're ready to take up protein and those amino acids to repair the damage that you did in your run in that 30 to 45 minute window. If you're not a morning runner, 
I tell people try to get breakfast in an hour after you wake up. Don't go more than an hour without eating in the morning if you can possibly help it. I know some mornings that's hard. Um, and then for that person, we would do more tweaking with their lunch and afternoon snack to make that afternoon run po um, possible and go well versus someone who ran in the morning. Maybe they're going to have less on the snack end in the afternoon and you tweak it per person, but the timing is what's really important in those scenarios. Now, what is the difference? Say like, say I was going to go two months where I would eat the, basically the same food. So let's, let's just take this variable out. So having the same food in, in either scenario, but one scenario I'm eating 30 minutes after I finish my meal and another scenario I'm eating it an hour and 15 minutes after my, I mean, 30 minutes after my run and an hour and 15 minutes after my run. What's the, what's the long-term difference going to be? Just your ability to recover. So in both scenarios, you're replacing the energy that you burned off. You're helping to refuel so that hopefully you can go do it tomorrow. The reason that 30 to 45 minute window or it, that I push that so much is that your, your body is still in that active state. It's ready to recover in very intentionally in that 30 to 45 minute window. If you have a crazy day and you can't get your breakfast in until an hour and 15 minutes after your run, like the wheels aren't going to completely fall off. But I've had a lot of people see success in being able to recover from their runs more quickly by getting their food in in that 30 to 45 minute window. Does it satiate you more? Like do you feel like if you push it later, do you miss a window in terms of kind of like Am I going to be more hungry later on if I don't eat right away? Or is that not really a factor? So some people, absolutely. So there are definitely people who, like, after their run, they just absolutely cannot eat anything right away. And, and I get that. So we try to tweak things, maybe find things that they're more able to eat. What happens or what I see more often is that if somebody goes for their run and then they wait three hours to eat, they tend to fall into this mindset of, well, I'm just now eating after that morning, so I'm going to go ahead and eat a whole lot more Hell than I would yeah, otherwise. Heather. Hell yeah. <laughs> and that's now where you're the problem comes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's where the problems come. You know, your body and your metabolism is this awesome machine. And if we can keep it fueled and keep it rolling all day, you're going to run at a higher level. Your metabolism is going to be faster than someone that maybe is only eating twice a day, but really large quantities at those times. And so it also plays into that piece of just wanting to keep yourself moving and fueled all day long. Yeah. All right. Here's another factor for me. And I think anyone who listens to this podcast would echo this as well is the hard one of the, I'd say one of, the hardest parts for me to eat well, um, I would say consistently the hardest part, not in the short term, but in the long term, is time. Mm -hmm. All right. Not necessarily for breakfast. Breakfast is, I think breakfast can be simple to get right uh, for a lot of people because there's a lot of fast, there's a lot of quick things you could do a lot mm -hmm. of, um, that, that are relatively good. Right. It's, it, it's, it's hard right. to really mess up breakfast unless you're trying to mess it up. Unless you're like, <laughs> I'm having 
you know, six pancakes tonight and I'm going to drench them with maple syrup. Again, I've done this. I'm not saying it's bad, but like, like when you do that, you know what you're doing. You know what I mean? You're not, like, right. you're not, you're not mistaken. And in fact, right. that's probably more expensive and time consuming than the healthier option. It's like breakfast right. is like the inverse of all the other meals. Right. It's like the unhealthy option takes longer than the healthy option in a lot of right. sense, a lot of ways. So, however, lunch and dinner goes, goes the other way. So for me, time is of the essence for dinner. So how do you arrange dinner for your athletes to make it so it's something that's sustainable and something that can actually be done? You know, you're, you're a mom. You know what it's like at that time. Like, how, how, do, you, how do you allocate your, your, uh, your menus so that time isn't going to be a detriment? Right. So it depends on what the person's skills are in the kitchen, how comfortable are they with being in the kitchen. But most of the recipes that I give to people are either going to be like a slow cooker or something that they can make ahead so that there's actually no prep at evening time itself, or they're going to be something that's 30 minutes or less because usually that's all they've got. One thing that has also been really helpful for a lot of people is putting in an intentional afternoon snack, like putting something in their meal plan at 3 or 4 p.m. so that they're not so hungry while they're cooking dinner that they have dinner before dinner um, because they've snacked so much in the kitchen. So that 30 minutes to put together a meal doesn't feel as awful because they're not starving. Yeah, I've certainly been there. And I, I literally have had to alter my um, my like, travel routes home to try to avoid <laughs> drive throughs that's, right. that's, that's the point where I'm at now is that like my willpower by the end of the day is so low that I don't trust myself <laughs> to drive past a fast food restaurant. Um, and I think that's part of it was that the, the whole snacking thing was, was the issue is that I wasn't, I was so darn hungry when I was right. leaving work. That was the problem. So what are some of your favorite mid afternoon, late afternoon snacks that kind of alleviate that temptation? So like I, I said earlier, I have a sweet tooth too. So I, love like baked goods or kind bars are amazing they have this it's like a dark chocolate sea salt that is just the perfect yeah that's afternoon. a good one i like that, that one that one's perfect um the guide has their i call them pr granola muffins i don't even know like it was literally just me like throwing stuff together in a bowl one day trying to make something that in their oats with a bunch of different dried fruits chopped up in there and some nuts some coconut oil and they bake up really well, like a muffin, uh, but their base is oats instead of flour. That one is an awesome afternoon snack. Um, i trying to think. Oh, so, like if you like peanut butter, if you take- Oh, say that again. You cut out. Say that oh. again. So if you are a peanut butter person, a little bit of Greek yogurt with a scoop of peanut butter and then dipping fruit in that. So like cutting up an apple and dipping it in the yogurt peanut butter mix is amazing. I like that one a lot. But it all Ooh, has to be, oh, it's, it's like the caramel fruit dip that you can get at the grocery store without being sugar. Um, it, it holds on a lot longer. And I look forward to those sorts of things. But just something quick and little, even if it is just, it's that kind bar that's thrown in your work bag so that it's there if you need it, um, is yeah. really helpful. Little tip. It doesn't work in the summer because it's too hot in your car mm -hmm. to do it. But what I did over the winter, I actually got, I got a, I got a box of the health warrior bars, which oh, aren't yeah. big, but Great. 
But what I would do is I put them in my, I would put one in my car and I would leave it there. So like, I wouldn't eat it during the day, which was like what I was doing. I was right. like, I like, here's my afternoon snack. And then like at 1030, it's gone. Um, right. <laughs> so I would just leave it in my car. So I didn't have a choice. And then I would have it in my car on the way home. So like, there goes Burger King, but I'm eating something already. So, all right, I guess I can handle it. I'll just keep going. And um, yeah, that, was, that actually worked really well. Again, not advisable in the summer because that's just going to be a big gooey mess. But during the during the spring, winter, and fall, it actually did work out pretty well. Right, and I have a whole just like little snack drawer um, in my office, just because I know that you know if the day gets crazy and I'm supposed to leave at four thirty, and some you know something comes up with a student and I'm there till five thirty. Like if I don't have a snack, I'm stopping at the McDonald's that is on the way home um, from my office, and so that snack drawer is really beneficial to have there and make it so I can still get home and cook dinner uh, instead of pulling in somewhere. That's awesome. All right. So when someone signs up for your service, and I should say, I mentioned this in the intro. um, If someone does sign up for your meal plan, if they use the code rambling runner and the code that they'll get, um, it kind of like get put into like a uh, little raffle and someone will get, a free 60 minute or 45 minute call with you just to talk about, you know, the best way to utilize, you know, nutrition in their plan. But what does it look like when someone signs up for one-on-one service with you? Yeah. So one-on-ones are really fun. That is where we get to dig in deep. So if you sign up for a one-on-one service, whether it's a premium, they both start with one week of dietary assessment. So I'll get you all set up in my online system. And for one week, you just record everything you eat. You put your workouts in there. And then I ask that people put notes about how they feel when they eat things. Like, you know, if they did stop at the drive-thru. How did you feel afterwards? What, what emotions were going with those things? Just so that I can get a big picture. Then we have our call. And everybody gets um, a seven-day customized meal plan. And those aren't meant to be like, follow this like it's a Bible meal by meal there to give you really good ideas so that you could see what it might look like every day for me. If I was had all the time in the world to make food, Um, that's the basic package. If you go the premium route, I'll put together those meal plans for you um, for five days every week. So those do become a little bit more prescriptive. Those are meant to really help, direct your week. And with those, we might be doing something a little more intentional, like maybe we're tweaking your carb intake in the afternoons to see if that has an impact on energy for your run at 5 p.m. Or maybe we're tweaking your dinner to see if we can get your morning run to go a little bit better. In those calls, we always talk about fueling plans as well. Like everybody knows you don't try anything new on race day. You practice with your gels, those sorts of things. But what people sometimes miss is they just go from no gels to like going out for a 15 miler and trying gels for the first time. And it goes horribly because they've never introduced those before. So we talk about how to use your easy runs is those things and a way to try out new fuels. And, and really it's just those packages are an opportunity to, to ask all have and tweak your intake to get where you feel your strongest. All right. And what are the, then there's like the meal plan option as well, right? Kind of like a, a lesser hardcore version of what you just described. Yeah. So that is just the weekly meal plans or subscription service. I send those out every Friday morning. 
those have five dinners on them and then they'll give you a breakfast, a lunch and a snack. And those are for somebody. So those come with the full grocery list for anybody that hates putting that together. I loved that. That was my <laughs> favorite part of it. Cause I hate, I hate getting these variety. Like this is what you should eat this week. And I'm like, I have no idea how to shop for all this nonsense. Like I, right. I like, it like cuts me off at the knees. I'm like, all right, I can't do this. I'm not going to figure this out. Like I like my house has what I need for this week and be my week only. I don't have like this, like, overflowing pantry with like all of these beautiful items I can put into any meal. Right. And so the grocery list is there. If you live in a town that your grocery store does delivery service, uh, our, our little town does. So I'm assuming most bigger towns have this. I will actually go in and just put the whole grocery list online and then get it delivered to our house. Um, I end up with a lot less extra stuff that way. And and it's nice, like the, the grocery list print out on one page, it's all right there and you can just click around. That's always, that's my like time saving trick every week is just to let the grocery store do the shopping for me. Um, but those $20 per month meal plans are to get you the ideas. Cause that's the hardest part. Like just, I do the hard work of scouring and finding the recipes. Some of them I find from blogs. Some of them I make up myself. Um, I put them all together though, so that you don't have to do that part so that it's all there for you. Um, in an ideal world, it would be great to be able to sit on Pinterest for five hours a week and, and look for recipes, but I know not everybody has time for that. So all of these recipes are balanced as far as the dinner meals, having enough protein, carbs, to really fuel your running. The breakfasts are awesome for early morning runners. They're just a way for people to get those ideas and tear down some of those barriers as far as eating healthy foods goes. All right. So if someone's interested in this, do they go to the runforprs.co website or where do they go? Yep. So you can go to that website. Um, on You will see a tab where you can click nutrition coaching and you'll see all of my information. You'll see a link to our store where you can sign up for those. Um, and you can do everything. Yeah. There through the website. All right. So we'll have that linked in the website. I know you also have a link right to the store in your Instagram. Uh, mm -hmm. What's your Instagram handle for everybody? It is run4prs.dietitian. Run4prs.dietitian. All right. This has been very helpful. I really appreciate it. The, 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 what's it called? The grocery list was like a revelation for me. <laughs> There's no question about that. I, I really, really like that. That's for sure. All right. So before we get going, you're a runner as well. You're a runner first. You were running before you became a dietitian. So I'll do the last um, you know, quick questions I give to everybody when you're out okay. on a run, are you going headphones or no headphones? So if I am running early, I do run in some fair. So no headphones, unless like it is super light out and I'm at a well-populated okay. area. And in those cases, what are you listening to? <laughs> it's almost embarrassing. Like usually like the trashiest rap that I can find, which sounds really funny for a girl from small town, Iowa, but there's just something about like little Wayne that gets me going on hard runs. Now, did you get introduced to this or did you just kind of find this out on your own? The yeah. music? <laughs> I have no idea um, where it came from. I really think like it was probably just me shuffling through Pandora and I realized like, oh, this kind of builds me up. I, I can't relate to any of the lyrics at all. It ever seems like, but there's something about listening to them that gets me going. Holy cow, so little Wayne, who else? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a Fetty Wap station that is pretty perfect on my Pandora. I'm trying to think Kevin, Kevin Gates Pandora station. Like they're really just all of these artists that I just can't like, 
I can't relate to their lives in any way, but something about their music is good for me when I'm running. There you go. I love it. All right. What advice do you give others that you have trouble following? Hmm. Trusting the process for sure. It can be. Oh God, me too. Right. Like, (laughs) and I'm so type A, like, I love getting in and digging into my training plans and understanding what this workout means and what its benefit is to the big picture. Um, almost to the point where it's a fault of mine is at times. And so when I work with people, I always, I tell them over and over, trust the process. And I need to remind myself to do that more often as well. I had an Instagram post today about this exact thing. And I like went off the rails on the pod on, on the post. Like I didn't like, I thought I started it and I ended it like somewhere else. I, it was like it was a really poorly written post i was like rushing to get out the door but i feel the exact same way because my point on this is like for me it's hard to be goal oriented and to trust the process at the same time right like for me so grandma's was awesome now i'm qualified for boston but i found out but it's been like four three or four weeks now that um i'll be running uh, New York City Marathon is part of Team Ultra, the Michelob Ultra piece that they do every or that they send 95 runners, which is awesome. But I have to remind myself that the big goal is Boston. Like New York is going to be amazing, but it's not the A goal. And so I've just got to trust the whole process and that I'm going to get to Boston and run well there. And that New York is just kind of a fun piece in the middle. And I've been stressing about that too much. Hold on a second. Wait, what is this? What is this Michelob Ultra <laughs> team? I've never heard of anything oh, like this. Okay. So Michelob Ultra, they, so their whole premise is they, you should be able to live well, be active and then, but also enjoy. So they sponsor 95 runners uh, to go run for them at the New York City Marathon. Um, And so So I'll be doing that. How did you get this? (laughs) That's that's the question. Right. So they had this. I saw it on Instagram and it was one of those, like you fill out the form and write the essay. And honestly, I forgot about it. Cause I was like, there's no way, like, there's no way I'm going to get chosen for this. And I wrote this essay about the fact that like, if you can't go for a run and then enjoy a beer afterwards, like you're doing it wrong. You should be able to celebrate your run, have a good time, have a beer. And as a dietitian, like I still preach that. I think that you should always enjoy your foods, what you're doing and have a great time. Um, and Apparently they liked it because now I get to go run for them um, in November and, and it's exciting, but it's not the A goal. So I, I'm trying to keep that in my head. That's awesome. That's like the coolest thing you've said in this whole podcast. I'm such a huge <laughs> fan of this. That's why I'm fantastic. I don't... All, right. <laughs> All right. So what's one race? Uh, I'm sorry. Not what's one race? All right. If you, if you could only run one more race the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would that be? Hmm. Honestly, I'm trying. I don't know. I loved grandma's so much. It was so well put together. I had a great time. Obviously, I ran well. Um, That was fun. But we have this little local 5K here in town every year. It's a Susan G. Komen breast cancer 5K. And it is just fun. And I love that it's local. um, And it's competitive. I mean, if you're going out and want to run a PR, it's a perfectly flat course in this little, you know, in our little town. I want to keep running that one every year. Oh, very cool. That's awesome. A lot of people choose like the big name races like grandma's, but that local, those local races can definitely have 
a special place in your heart, especially if you've lived in the, the same area for a long time, because you have so much history attached to not only the event, but the course itself. I think I can run the course with my eyes closed, but it's just such a fun event and it's a big part of the community. So I want to run that one every year. There you go. All right. Other end of the spectrum. What's your bucket list race? Um, I got this like spam email from sandals and in Jamaica. So there's a marathon in Jamaica that is all like you go for a vacation and the resort transports you to the race and feeds you and everything. I want to do that. Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Hopefully that's the, definitely it's like the first day of the vacation. So you don't have to like spend the first four days worrying about your marathon. Right. Yeah, you can just like get your marathon, uh, like basically like take me from the hotel, take me from the airport to the marathon. Right. And then let me just eat all of the food. And then just eat all the food. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. All right. Last one. Before we say it, uh, thank you so much for coming on. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you. Who is your dream running partner? Oh, my gosh. I love running with Nora. So she just like chatters and sings along. Well, for a couple miles and then she usually falls asleep. But for the first couple of miles running with her is just so fun. I'm excited to see where that relationship goes as she grows up. All right. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Heather. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to, uh, to talk to you again. I, I think this, 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 whatever you're doing with the food is really working out and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. Thank you, Heather, for coming on the show. This was a blast. I really appreciate it. I found it to be illuminating and even more than that, just kind of strip away some of the, the thoughtless things that kind of have popped into my head regarding nutrition. And oftentimes what happens is, is that when I'm confused about things from a dietary perspective, I just give up and eat whatever I want to eat. And kind of eliminating the confusion for me is almost half the battle besides just making sure that it's something that's, um, you know, that fits into my schedule is, all, is the other big hurdle. I mentioned this in the episode. If it's not confusing, if it's very easy to understand and it's efficient from a time perspective, as long as it tastes decent, I'm probably going to, I'll probably stick with it. But if it tastes even better than that, then that probably will, will guarantee it for me. Either way, I hope you like this episode. Thank you, Mercury Mile, for sponsoring. Go to mercurymile.com, promo code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 to save 10 bucks in the stylus fee. Also, like I said in the intro, if you want to get a weekly meal plan from Heather, I'm going to start doing it. I'm just going to say it right now. I'm going to start getting these meal plans. I think they're very helpful. Also, um, very reasonably priced. But if you do that as well, go to runforprs.co. If you use promo code RAMBLINGRUNNER, it won't save you any cash, but it will give you, you'll be easily entered to win. One person who does that will win a 45-minute conversation with Heather to talk specifically about their own dietary needs and challenges. So, until next time, thank you for listening to the show and happy running.